Oopsla Podcast Episode 10, Global Agile Development. The Oopsla Podcast brings you up to speed on topics covered at this year's Oopsla Conference, which takes place in October 2007 in Montreal, Canada. For more information, visit the conference website at oopsla.org. The Oopsla Podcast is co-produced with Software Engineering Radio and with Dibsum Thinking. I'm Daniel Steinberg, your host for this episode. We talked to Yuta Eckstein via Skype about a tutorial she's giving at Oopsla 2007 called Agile in the Face of Global Software Development. We talked about the benefits of applying Agile methods where they're not traditionally applied and the challenges of globally distributed teams. Eckstein gave concrete suggestions for overcoming the challenges of distance, culture, and time zones that preview some of what she'll be presenting at her tutorial. I'm Jutta Eckstein, and I'm a consultant in Germany, and I'm mainly helping large organizations or large project teams in creating an agile process and as well preserving it. And with preserving, it's more preserving the agile value system despite the problems those projects are facing when being in a large setting or in a global setting. People often think agility works for small teams only because there's not much out there which which says how you can do it if you are in a larger setting and even worse if you are in a global setting. So if you are distributed over several sites, countries, whatever, then there is not really much advice out there. And if you look at what some methodologies are describing, then they are focusing much more on small, small co-located teams. And therefore, first of all, the projects and companies, they think it's not doable. On the other hand, they do have the same requests as small projects have as well. For example, they need to be flexible in reacting to change and they need to be able to get the feedback from the customer in order to steer the project in the right direction. Probably even more so because they need as well the feedback if they are on the right track because it's so much harder to steer a big project around or a global team around than a small one. I see a tendency that now I'm more asked to come in and help them at the beginning, which was not so like five years ago. There was only called in when the project was already underway for a while and was actually in a crisis. And I see this as a, a real trend towards the acceptance of Agile. Because, well, yeah, as I said, like five years ago or even more, um, companies only wanted to try Agile when they really had a problem and a crisis. And then they said, well, okay, let's try that. Maybe this helps us. And meanwhile, organizations say, well, probably it would be good to start with it right from the beginning. Most often this is driven by, by the hope of being able to respond more flexible to changing requirements and uh, which, which I would say like all projects need to do meanwhile. So there are not a, a lot of left which can really say we, we work on the requirements beforehand and then we will just implement those. Most of the companies now, they, they have the, so much pressure in the market that they have to be able to act flexible on, on changing requirements.
I think about HMR as a value system. And the value system is defined in the manifesto. And this is uh, made a bit more concrete with the principles, which are as well stated in the manifesto. I really believe whatever you are doing, probably as a specific methodology won't work for you. And what's it, it could be a good starting line, and you could find some help there. But every project is different. And so the only thing you can do is going back to the HR value system and see what's really in here and what what helps you in your circumstances. So um, maybe even to a bit more extreme, if we look at the value system at the manifesto at the first value pair comparison, which is individuals and interactions over processes and tools, this already says that we have to question the process we are using from time to time and adapt it to our needs. It's really kind of my, my deep inner belief that if we don't change our own process, and even if it's an agile process, we are not agile if we don't do this. I'm offering a tutorial at Uppsala on global yet agile software development. And well, very often if you think about a global development team, you, you think that will not be able to be conducted in agile way. And mainly because um, people think agility works only for co-located team members or co-located teams. And um, this is why I chose the title of Global Yet Agile. So despite the fact we are in a global distributed setting, we want to use the Agile value system and benefit from it. Uh, some key points from it. So one of the major things, for example, I think are uh, that you need to set up your team in a different way than it's often done in a global, global setting. So most often what you see in, in a global team that you have a team structure around know-how. For example, you have the, the people in India doing the user interfaces and the ones doing the middleware are sitting in the States and maybe some testers as well in the States. And um, so you, you have kind of a split in in the know-how know and the split goes along with the split in the team structure. The problem with that is that you will hardly be able to to get actually a feature done because always you will find that somebody says, oh, we couldn't do our job because that other team wasn't able to deliver on time or they delivered something else than we expected. First we agreed on that interface, but finally they delivered a different interface and, and all of that. So the the basic or the key success factor in global development is uh, to have feature teams. So each team has all the know-how and knows about all the activities that are needed to complete, accomplish a feature, and at best, in an iteration. What's more difficult is, um, and that needs to be taken into account, is how do you still uh, ensure conceptual integrity? Because if every feature team says, well, I have a cool idea about our user interface or how to access the database or whatever, that's probably not a good idea. So you need to find a way how to ensure the conceptual integrity. And that's actually 
not so different, or I would say that's the same in a global setting than it is in a large setting, because there you, you will have the, the same problem. The key thing is that you need an architect, which is different from small agile teams. So for small agile teams, there are even methodologies that, which say you don't need an architect, the whole team is the architect, um, which doesn't work for large and for distributed teams. Um, and the other thing is that the architecture is actually regarded as a service to the feature teams. And this can be conducted in, in different ways. So it could be that you have in each of the feature teams one person having an eye on the architect, so kind of an in-feature in team architect. And those architects are exchange, having a, a frequent exchange on what's going on. It could be as well what, what we had in, in one of the projects. We had a, a technical team, kind of a, yeah, like a framework development team or something. But those people then worked always from time to time on the feature teams for one reason, uh, seeing how the framework actually contributes to the feature teams and where do the people struggle when using it. So learning about new requirements from the, for the framework. And on the other hand, uh, as well, kind of um, market the framework so that people really know how to use it. So it's a mentoring and it's as well looking for the real requirements from, from the feature teams. There are so many reasons why companies decide on a global setting in, in general. It's, it's not only because there are some cheaper people somewhere else. Um, it's as well like getting, a, getting into a different market by just being present there. That's one thing. Or one thing, what, a problem we really have at the moment in Germany here is that we don't have enough um, educated people in uh, computer science and so on. And therefore, the companies, they don't find people here anymore and they have to go abroad for looking for developers. So that there are just different reasons. Probably you can always uh, find argument that it's uh, in the end cheaper to collocate, uh, to develop collocated. But it's sometimes it's not possible for several reasons. So another real big topic is communication. So how will a distributed team keep the communication up and, and yeah, well, as we, we might know that in the HR value system, in the principle, it says already face-to-face -face conversation is the best way of conveying information. And so how can we actually fulfill this principle if we are in a distributed setting? So there are really different points to that. One more little bit easier thing is the what I often call like a the frequent or daily synchronization. I, I used to take call this that way because every methodology uses that practice but has a different name for it. So in XP, this is the stand-up meeting. In Scrum, it's daily, daily Scrum. In FTD, it's the morning roll call. And in DSDM, I think it's the daily wash-up or so. So each methodology finds a different name for it, but it's all the same. It's kind of a daily synchronization within a team. And we have done this uh, as well with uh, dispersed teams. 
and we do this typically over phone. There are some some things to it. So first of all, the team has to have met at least once before. So in order to, to make a team a team, the team has to see each other beforehand. And then you can keep up this communication a while over phone and and over a distance. I think everyone has experienced that and, and there are differences as well. How long can you keep that trust and, and communication level up? For example, um, when I started that everyone has experienced this probably in private life as well. Well, I have friends and I don't see them for five years and when I see them I catch up just where we left and there I have other friends and I don't see them for fi from five years and I meet them, I'm not able to catch up. So it's it's kind of, it depends how good your relationship was at the beginning and this relates to how long it can last even if you don't see each other. So there's call a communication and trust threshold which you have to watch out for, for not losing that yeah channel, that communication channel. So first of all, I said like the team has to see each other at least at the beginning. Then there are other things you can keep it up by the daily synchronization over phone. Then the next thing you can do is to ro rotate people. So this is sometimes as well called like expatriates. People work at a different site, different team for a specific amount of time. Could be it depends how far you dis distributed you are. It could be for one iteration. It could be for I don't know, like ten iterations before you go back or, or whatever. And um, exchanging the people in in all ways. So that's that's another thing which I find very important. In all ways means uh, very often. Uh, global projects think there is one one center or one home for the project and this is typically the headquarter of the company and therefore all the other sites that typically have to travel to the headquarter or they send people there and uh, what's really necessary is for setting up a mutual respectful relationship that the travel goes in each direction. So if you have expatriates, for example, in, in India, then you need as well to have expatriates in the States. It helps uh, not only to ensure the communication, but as well to spread the same project culture. Um, I think almost every global project I have heard of or worked in has done was having an ambassador at each site who is just responsible really for the communication. It's overhearing conversations, ensuring that whatever is talked about, so the typical water cool conversations, that they are as well passed on to the other sites. If you are setting up uh, a regular or in general meetings, then often, yeah, you try to, to make it convenient, but more for one side. And what I really propagate is that it should be convenient for every site at least once and inconvenient then probably for for other sites so sometimes the one site has to get up very early or stay very late and at other times it, it's uh, more problem for other people which is actually as well true for 
whether you get together so that not, for example, not always the same side has to travel. So it goes again back to mutual respect. So changing the time so it's convenient for everyone at least sometimes. There are definitely cultural differences which which are as well very important in agile development. And actually, the cultural differences, they are not related to different countries only. They are as well related to different companies because a company shapes a culture as well. And as well to, um, I don't know, probably you can say education, for example. Um, well, the C++ folks, they are really different than small, small talk people. You know, so it's really as well a different culture. There are teams, and this is really going back to culture, countries, companies, whatever, and there are teams that are not really able to do realistic planning. What I mean with this is, um, well, we plan the next iteration, estimate the tasks, and then double check if we really can do it. And if we can do it, we commit to this iteration plan. And uh, the way how we are checking if we can really do it is, first of all, that we look at our availability. So is everyone from the team here? And uh, how much time can anyone, everyone contribute to the iteration? And the other thing is, how much did we accomplish in the last iteration? So that if we know we accomplished that much probably we will be able to accomplish about the same in the next iteration because it's the same iteration length. Yeah, there are teams shaped by cultures who are really not able to do that. So it's there. I have seen things over and over again, like, for example, they've delivered features for, well, we use feature points when we estimate the features. For example, they delivered features in the past iteration for 30 feature points. And for the next iteration, they say they will be able to accomplish 50 feature points, although three team members are on vacation in the next iteration. So it, it's most often that yeah, I see that teams are over-ambitious. And even if they see what they have accomplished in the past iteration, they just still are too overambitious, just don't want to see it what's what's realistically possible. And this is something I see often in differences of where the team is located, but I've seen this as well, what kind of company was behind there. Similarly, things like taking up responsibility, which is a very important thing in agile development. This is often difficult as well, and it's something that's impressed by culture. Well, and things like stating problems, are you able to deliver bad news? And so it's where agility is a lot about transparency. And sometimes this is difficult to, yeah, get get this out of the people and and yeah, make them or enable them to live up to their agile value system. So the the tutorial I'm I'm delivering at Uppsala is actually for everyone first of all who is in this distributed global setting and has some questions about how can this 
how can can I be in this setting and still follow an agile approach? Maybe as well what what as well very good if these are people who have tried that an agile approach in a global setting. You will probably be able to get the most of it if you have a, a key role like either a, a coach or scrum master or manager or change agent in that team. And as a developer, probably you get more out of it by saying, okay, these are the things we have to watch out for. But you have to turn into a change agent to really make those happen because sometimes it's acquires a lot a change in the organization. What's good about this tutorial, having this tutorial at UPSA, is that at UPSA, I think it's kind of the only conference where we have that, that great mix in people who are from industry and from academia. So it, it's really helpful that to learn from each other, and especially now talking about this tutorial, academia has that problem very often as well. They are often in distributed settings as well, and I'm sure that we can all share experiences and, and learn from each other then. Yuda Eckstein is presenting the tutorial Agile in the Face of Global Software Development at Uppsala 2007. Thank you for listening to the Uppsala Podcast. If you want to know more about the Uppsala Conference or if you want to get additional Uppsala Podcast episodes, visit the conference website at uppsala.org. This episode, as well as the other episodes of the Oopsla podcast, are licensed under a Creative Commons license. The intro and outro music is by a band called The Plugs. The song is called Go East.